Welcome back to Murder on Sex Island. Written and read by me, Joe Firestone. This is episode 4, where I'll be reading chapters 12 and 13. If you're coming right off of the episode 3, feel free to skip this recap. But if you need a reminder of what happened in the previous chapter, here you go. Luella found David G.'s body in her bathtub. He'd been dead for at least 24 hours and had a strange circular cut around his navel. She also found an anonymous letter addressed to Marie in her mailbox, which means someone on the island knows her real identity. And she couldn't find her teeth. The mysteries are really stacking up here. The producers told the cast and crew that David G. died by suicide and that they're going to film an orgy vigil in his honor. Chapter 12 An orgy vigil. Was I in hell? Isa brought me to my trailer and to no one's surprise, an ungodly costume hung on the back of the chair. Black lace underwear and a veil. Where was the top? Where were the pants? I cleared my throat, pointed at it, and shook my head, which I felt was the universal language for where is the top and where are the pants? Isa looked at me totally unfazed. You want a top? Costume department said tops were on request. I gave her a vigorous head nod. She held the walkie-talkie to her mouth. Isa to wardrobe, Luella wants a top. Couldn't have said it better myself. She kept the walkie-talkie out, addressing me again. Any breakfast? Egg whites? I shook my head no so hard it was like I was trying to get something off of my nose. Then Isa did the strangest thing. She laughed. Hard. You're a strange one, Luella. I'll be back in ten to take you to set. She shook her head and trotted off. Okay, so Isa was callous and overworked, but maybe I could find an ally in her yet. A few minutes later, someone knocked on my trailer door. I had high hopes it was the wardrobe department with a turtleneck. Instead, I found John wearing a blue chambray shirt that matched his eyes. I noticed it was misbuttoned. He asked to come in. I nodded. He sat down on the plastic couch, wringing his hands. They did the toxicology report. Apparently, he'd had a lethal dose of ethylene glycol, he said. Ethylene glycol, or as it's more familiarly known, antifreeze. You know, the blue stuff you generally pour in your car and not down a human being's gullet. Reports suggested he'd been dead for up to four days when you found him. Stephanie thought it best to officially call it a suicide for now. She thought telling people he was murdered might make everyone super paranoid, but I don't know. I feel like if you're going to kill yourself, you don't drink car fluid. Do you think we're doing the right thing here? I shrugged. You don't think it was a suicide, do you? He asked. I shook my head no. He glanced over at my costume still hanging limply on the back of the chair. Geez, if you want, they can get you a shirt. I gave him the double thumbs up. He cleared his throat and then stood up. Well, I'll leave you to it. Wanted you to know the latest. He paused. Oh, I forgot. I brought you a coffee. He set down the large paper cup on my dressing table. Funny when someone mentions poison and hands you a drink a moment later. I needed to know why he didn't want the police involved that night. Why he went along with this whole suicide ruse. Why he looked disheveled on a Friday morning. But finding all that out without speaking was going to be nearly impossible. John paused at the doorway and turned to me. I'd talk to Nate if you haven't already. Nate and David G were pretty close until the end. 
Oh, and sorry about the orgy vigil, he shrugged, laughing a little. <laughs> Director's idea. Enjoy the coffee. John excused himself, gently closing the trailer door behind him. I immediately poured the coffee down the toilet, then panicked as I'd forgotten how to flush it. It was a lever you were supposed to push both up and down with your foot. One way let water in, and the other opened a little hole in the bottom of the toilet to move the waste out, and whoever designed this thing had absolutely no regard for human intuition. A minute later, Wardrobe was waiting outside the trailer with what I loosely call a shirt, and I got dressed quickly. It would have to do. All I was thinking about now was Nate. What did John mean when he said, until the end? Was he alluding to the Blair rim job debacle of episodes 12 through 15? Isa escorted me to set, which was a loft space they'd turned into a porny-looking bedroom. It had a California king-sized bed with black satin sheets and a mirrored ceiling. Nate and Ethan were already there, sitting silently on the bed. I joined them on the opposite side and glanced over at Nate. He was about 6'2", with a baby face, a six-pack, and a buzz cut. The rest of his body he kept fastidiously hairless. He wore a gold chain with a cross on it. Fun fact. Nate was the only practicing Christian on Sex Island. Sitting next to Nate, Ethan looked almost his opposite. He was 5'9 and covered with dark curly body hair. If the women's testimonials were to be trusted, he had a whopping 10-inch penis. There were rumors online that he wore special 10-inch penis underwear that was custom made by H&M. Sounded like a difficult life. A little later, Sarah, Phil, and David N. were brought in. Phil winked at me, and I felt my face flush. I looked around and noticed the cameraman had already begun shooting. I was beginning to understand that this show afforded its cast little privacy. Sarah, the tall blonde whose whole personality was being nice, who once confessed to wearing a 24-karat gold toe ring she got from some random guy in Egypt, was the first to speak. Did you guys hear they found David G., she asked, holding a plastic container of what I recognized as the egg whites. Ethan kept looking at the floor. Man, it's so sad. I just can't believe it was a suicide, David N. said slowly to no one in particular. He was the skinniest guy on the show and had been trying to grow a goatee for the last month. Online, the fans were pleading for him to shave it off. Phil sat next to me. I don't know, guys. You never know what's going on inside someone else's mind. He started rubbing my shoulders and I shied away. I liked Phil, but I didn't think we'd gotten to the public shoulder-rubbing stage of our relationship. Too hard, babe? He asked me with what seemed like genuine concern. I nodded and stood up, making my way over to a big cooler full of bottled waters. For those wondering, I was still, very unfortunately, without my Luella teeth. Sarah picked at her egg whites, then threw the whole container in the garbage can where they belonged. Tasha flat out told the producer she wouldn't be on camera today. Honestly, good for her, she said. Ethan chimed in. Well, she's the one who broke his heart. Maybe she feels responsible. Who knows? Maybe she is responsible. Sarah looked at him in shock. Ethan, that's so not fair. Suddenly, Blair stormed in, wearing a bright purple feather robe. I noticed it shed, leaving a trail of purple wisps in her wake. What the hell? Have you guys heard about David G? They found him dead in a random bathroom. Nate, baby, are you okay? Nate was full-on crying now. He had a line of snot smeared across his cheek and still somehow managed to look attractive. His shoulders heaved up and down. This freaking sucks, he bellowed. 
I looked up and realized Phil had been watching me this whole time. I can't believe Luella just got here. Babe, it's not always like this. Come here, let me hold you, he said, his arms outstretched to me. I nodded sympathetically, then pretended to find a new mole on my arm. Blair ignored him, continuing on her same train of thought. Like suicide? Is that for real? He's totally not the type. There is no type, Blair, Nate screamed mid-sob. At that moment, Stephanie walked in with the director, George Stryker. Living up to every expectation, George held in his hand a half-empty pina colada. I apologized to the optimist. The pina colada was also in a way half full. Stephanie cleared her throat. Hi, guys. I just want to say that what happened on Wednesday was very tragic. David G. was a major part of our community here, and we will all miss him dearly. Then she looked straight at me. But he decided to end his life, and we can't do anything about that. Why was she lying? And why was she specifically addressing me? George continued using a surprisingly fake British accent. I know it's hard, but this is show business, and the show must crack on, right? So we're going to have a vigil for David G. here in the bedroom, and if the grief moves you, you can have community sex afterwards, and we'll call it for the day. He truly sounded like a cartoon chimney sweep. Did this guy really think that was a convincing accent? Everyone was silent. Then Blair asked the question I assumed was on everyone's mind. What's community sex? Stephanie was terse in her response. Like an orgy, Blair, we're trying to be sensitive about David G. Blair crossed her arms and sat on the bed, sending a flurry of tiny purple feathers everywhere. Well, I don't feel like having sex. George exhaled. That's fine, Blair, you don't have to have sex. Just don't get in the way of everyone else having a good healing time. Nate wiped his nose on his hairless arm. I don't want to have sex either. I'm just too sad to get hard. Sarah added. Yeah, if anything, I'll cuddle, but I'm not having sex. Sorry, George. Sorry, Steph. Was I witnessing a coup? I'll do it, Phil said, looking right at me. Jeez, this guy. Thank you, Phil. Love you, buddy, George said, giving Phil a little head pat. Stephanie spoke through clenched teeth. I could almost see the hot steam shooting out of her ears. Thank you, Phil. And the rest of you can cuddle. That's just great. That's exactly what people want to see, and that's what you're paid to do. Why don't you put on sweatpants while you're at it? Share a big bowl of Doritos. Slather barbecue sauce on your faces and complain about your taxes. She stormed out of the room, then paused right outside the door. Luella, can I have a word? Uh-oh. I followed her out of the bedroom into the hallway. George Stryker stayed with the cast and started camera blocking. Stephanie and I were surrounded by busy crew members preparing for the morning shoot. I noticed her neck was flushed and her hands were shaking. Found something of yours, she said. Stephanie reached into her jacket pocket and pulled out my tooth case. She rattled it for good measure. That perfume smell this morning, it was orange, amber, and something else. Was that Stephanie's perfume? I raised my eyebrows. Where did you... I began to ask, but she cut me off. I don't trust you, she continued. Well, that makes two of us, I thought. How and when did she get that, I wondered. I inhaled and thought I smelled amber. Then I snatched the toothcase out of her hands before she could think to do anything otherwise. You know, we get a lot of crazy fans doing crazy things to be on the show, she said, her voice guttural. 
Did she realize that she was the one who asked me to do this? She continued. I tried to find your paperwork. Payroll said you asked to be paid in cash, that you refused to put a social security number on file. I don't know what you're trying to pull, but whatever it is, I'm going to find out and I'm going to put a stop to it. I held her gaze. Stephanie's teeth were clenched. She gave me a tense nod, then walked away. I stood there in disbelief. What had just happened? I looked around and saw Issa standing there. She must have heard everything. I'd have to make her my ally sooner than I thought. Chapter 13 I snuck into a closet to pop my Luella teeth back in, then returned to the porny room to find the cast quietly cuddling on the bed. It looked almost cozy if you removed 100% of the context. Occasionally, Issa would pull someone off the bed for a filmed confessional. Those took place in another room, so I couldn't hear much, but Nate came back from his, red-eyed and sniffling. Ultimately, the orgy vigil was a bust. The group ended up holding each other for about three hours. Eventually, Issa came in and told us the editors were just going to put moaning sounds over footage of melting candles and that we could all go home. An hour later, I got a text from a number I didn't know. It simply said, Meet at Cantina, 5 p.m. Tell no one. I figured this was the infamous cantina Stephanie had mentioned. At 5 p.m., the sun would still be out. If someone was trying to hurt me, doing it in broad daylight would not be ideal. I decided to go. Someone wanted to meet with Luella. Maybe this was an informant. I left the apartment building around 4.30 and had a nagging feeling someone was watching me. I knew technically we weren't supposed to leave the compound, but since I wasn't actually part of the cast, I felt above the rules in some respects. Besides, with the Luella teeth safely back in my mouth, I had a little spring in my step, even if that interaction with Stephanie left me shaken. Whoever asked me to meet them at Cantina might know something to help solve the case. I arrived at the bar at exactly 5.01 p.m. From the outside, Cantina looked like any other dive bar. Neon signs for light beers were suspended in the windows, and the front door looked like it was used to being kicked open. An older man smoked a thin cigar near the front and looked me up and down as I walked in. He gave me the creeps. If this were a video game, I would have split-punched him. You know, one of those things where you do the splits and punch someone in the groin from below? Works like a charm in video games. If only everything were as cut and dry. I walked further into the bar. The space was dark, much darker than it was outside. The floors were sticky, with a quicksand-like quality. If my shoes stayed put for too long, it became difficult to move forward. My mind spiraled through all the substances that could have made a floor so sticky. Spilled margaritas, semen, a lifetime supply of chewed juicy fruit. The smell of bleach competed with the smell of stale beer. It was a close call, but it seemed stale beer would take the win that evening. I looked around for any recognizable face. A husky man with a long gray beard and a beat-up leather jacket played a slow game of darts against himself. The bartender, wearing a tank top and board shorts, was busy cleaning his left ear with his pointer finger. I made a mental note to avoid ordering any drink he'd have to squeeze something into. I was starting to feel like I'd been pranked or set up when I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned to find Sarah, blonde, tall, and smiling at me. She gave me a big hug. I'm so glad you got my text. Yay, come in, we're in the back. 
Maybe it wasn't so bad Sarah was nice. I followed her into a back room where David and Nate, Blair, and Tasha were sitting around an old wooden table sharing a pitcher of beer. No Ethan, no Phil. I was surprised to see Tasha there. Her long black hair was up in a messy bun, and she didn't look like she'd slept much the last couple nights. Blair looked up at me. New girl wants some beer? I nodded, and she poured me a glass of mostly foam. I sat in the small space between Nate and Sarah and took a sip. Oh, goody. It was just how I liked it. Very warm. Everyone seemed to be about two beers in, by which I mean they were coherent but loose. Nate turned toward me, his golden cross gleaming in the low light. His eyes were still red-rimmed, and he spoke about an inch from my face. Lula, Lula, it's so bad here. Tasha corrected him. Nate, her name is Lueli, like Julie with a lully. These were real creatives I was dealing with here. Why is it bad, I asked Nate. They killed David G. He was too beautiful, so they killed him. He began to weep and put his head on the table. Sarah rubbed his hairless shoulders. Who do you think killed him? I figured it couldn't hurt to ask. Tasha poured herself another beer. I bet it was that producer, Stephanie. She wanted him and she couldn't have him, so she killed him. David N. spoke up then. In the dim bar lighting, his sparse goatee almost looked filled in. Wait, I thought they were already sleeping together. No, Tasha said sharply, but she definitely wanted him. Well, everybody wanted him, Blair added. I saw Nate look to her. She avoided his glance. What's with John? I asked. Nobody responded. Sarah looked around, then answered for the group. He's, John's fine. Do you guys know he's from the same town as David G? I think they were like family friends or something. That's what Stephanie told me, David N. added. I considered this information. When it came to John, it seems Stephanie was quite the talker. Nate slammed his beer down. You know what's so messed up about all this? Two weeks ago, David G. told me he got a call from an acting agent. David N. looked up from his beer. Wait, he did? For real? Shit, that's so sad, Blair said, slamming down her empty beer mug. But, like, also, is this killer going to strike again? If they got David G., who's next? I'm sure it's just a one-time thing, David N. stammered. Maybe it's a plan to kill the top contestants. Who would be next? Like, me? Am I next? Tasha's voice was getting shaky. Tasha, calm down. David G. lost his life. Let's not go nuts here, Nate yelled. Tasha shook her head. But he was going to win. Everyone knew that. He and I, we were going to win. So where does that leave me? Sarah reached out and held Tasha's hand. Shh, Tasha, it's okay. There's no telling if you were going to win this thing. I'm sure you're safe. Sarah then looked at me. Luli, you know how people win this show, right? I shook my head no and hoped it was convincing. Sarah's eyes lit up. Okay, you are in for it. Basically, you try to have sex with as many people as possible, and then you're voted on to the next round by how good your sex was. But if you betray someone, that person might say the sex with you was bad, even if the sex with you was actually really good. That happened with Rachel and Michael during week one. Do you guys remember? Michael was so good at sex, but then he slept with Blair, which was very rude to Rachel. So then Rachel said he was bad at sex and didn't make her come, even though he made her come twice. So sad. 
Blair repeated into her mug. Rachel had Crohn's disease, which was hard for all of us. She was like always in the bathroom. Right, so in order to win, you have to be good at sex and nice enough so that when you do have sex with other people, the person you had sex with first is like chill about it. Do you follow? Sarah asked. I nodded. You have to be like hot and chill, which is really hard to do because they sleep deprive us and sometimes they give us like a ton of alcohol and no food for hours on end. Sarah looked at the nearly empty pitcher. Wait, should we get another one? Blair picked up where Sarah left off. Basically, what Sarah is saying is that David G. was special. Everyone could see it, and he was really good at sex. So good at sex, Tasha and Sarah said almost in unison. I thought I saw David N. make eyes at Nate, but when I looked again, they were both nodding sympathetically. Wow, I said and took a sip. My beer was actually hot now, but I choked it down. Where are Ethan and Phil? We never see Phil outside of set. David N. answered, and I don't know where Ethan is. He didn't respond to the group text. The group text? I asked. They all looked to each other. I felt like I wasn't getting invited to a birthday party in real time. If you add somebody to the group text, does that mean they get to see the text that came before they were added to it? Sarah asked. I don't think so, Nate answered. Sarah took in this information with a slow nod. Well, we can add you if you want, she coolly offered. Thanks, I said. I figured getting on the group text could not not help the case. In my estimation, I had one more question before they started accusing me of having investigation vibes. Why don't you see Phil, I asked. He kind of keeps to himself, works out a lot. I think he likes you, though, David N. said with a smile. He definitely likes you. You should sleep with him. He's kind of cute in a grown-up boy band member kind of way, Sarah added. Sage advice from the masters themselves. I told him I'd think about it. The night ended with everyone drunkenly staggering from cabs into the apartment complex, shushing each other and giggling. If this was breaking the rules, no one here seemed to give a damn about consequences. I got back to my room, and immediately my phone buzzed. I had been added to the group chat. I recognized Sarah's number as the first text. Luli! The rest came in quick succession from the other five numbers. I tried deducing who was who using my ace detective skills. I was only a little buzzed on warm beer. Hi, bitches. Blair, or possibly Tasha. I'm horny. David N., or maybe Nate. Does anyone have food? Nate, or maybe David N., I have a half a bag of Doritos, David N. or possibly Nate. Ew, grow up, Tasha or possibly Blair. Where's the caviar, bitch? Blair or possibly Tasha. Figuring out people's numbers felt like drunkenly solving a Sudoku puzzle. I noticed both Ethan and Phil were left off. Was it because they'd missed the drinks outing? Or did it go deeper than that? The group text continued throughout the night, fueled mostly by people calling each other bitches. I was starting to regret asking to be put on this thing. Saturday. Saturday morning, I woke up and realized it was already Saturday afternoon. I lay in bed wondering where my cats were until I remembered I was on an island, a man had been poisoned, and there was a killer on the loose. Before I could begin to wallow in my guilt spiral, 
I got on my Luella gear and headed out to determine where, if anywhere, a murder could take place around here. Of the Maine's motive and opportunity trio, today I would laser in on the big O, by which I meant opportunity, not orgasm, though I understand how given the circumstances, whatever. I slowly made my way from the apartment building to the crew parking lot. Where could you kill someone? And where could you hide a dead body for up to four days? Seeing the huge lot devoid of people was strange. The utter stillness of the trailers, trucks, and equipment gave the place a ghost town feel. I wondered if anybody ever checked the trailers at night or over the weekends for that matter, if they were even locked. Everyone's trailer had their name printed on a star that was fixed to their door, just like a nursery school would. I ambled through the rows of trailers and found myself in front of Phil's. As I walked up the metal grate stairs, they squeaked loudly. So much for being discreet. I tried his door and it turned out to be locked. Then I looked to the flimsy windows. Surely those weren't so secure. I grabbed some apple boxes that were lying around. These were basic wooden boxes you could sit or stand on or stack things on top of. I don't know why they called them apple boxes. Maybe in old Hollywood they served a double purpose of also storing fruit for the hungry cameramen. I stacked up a few apple boxes until I was at eye level with Phil's window. Then using the heel of my palm, I popped out the plastic window pane. It fell inside the trailer, clattering to the ground while remaining intact. For all the evils of plastic, it really is a boon for the breaking and entering community. With ample grunting and something I could only refer to as squelching, I was finally able to hoist my body inside. I cursed myself for not having more upper body strength. Luckily, I landed with a nice thud on the couch. It smelled like fill in there. Coconut, vanilla, sunshine. I tried to put the kiss out of my mind. His trailer was larger than mine, with room for a recliner chair and a bigger fridge. I looked inside. Rows upon rows of Gatorades and a Tupperware containing six peeled, hard-boiled eggs. His trash had been emptied. I startled myself catching my reflection in the mirror. I realized I didn't quite know what I was looking for, and I was jumpy. If the trash was taken out, that meant people came by to clean it regularly, which meant a dead body couldn't just hang out in there for days. Then my eyes wandered up to a photograph tucked into the top right corner of the vanity. It was an old wallet-sized portrait of a woman. From her fashion choices and hairdo, I guessed the photo was taken in the mid-1980s. She looked to be about 18 years old, fresh-faced, pretty. To be honest, she looked a little like Phil. Same brown eyes, same long lashes. Maybe she was his mother or a beloved aunt, or possibly a younger photograph of his much older girlfriend. I wanted to find out more about Phil. He intrigued me. And it wasn't like that. I didn't just want... All right, I'm the storyteller here. We're moving on. I left Phil's trailer feeling like I'd just violated his space for nothing. I put the window pane back in and left through the door like a civilized human being. I had to leave it unlocked, but I figured it didn't matter much with the window being removable. I mean, someone could break in even if they had no upper body strength whatsoever. What else could be done around here if someone with wet noodle arms had a killer's instinct? I was carrying the apple boxes back to where I'd found them when I heard two men's voices arguing. I quickly hid behind Phil's trailer and listened. Don't tell me what to do, yelled one man. Bro, I'm not. I just want to do it right, said the other. 
I recognized the first voice as Nate's. The second, I couldn't place. The voices got closer and angrier until they stopped entirely. I looked up to find Nate and Ethan staring at me as I crouched against the trailer's metal siding. What are you doing here? Ethan asked me gruffly. I'm lost, I said. The apartment building is... Over there, Nate said, pointing to the only building taller than two stories within a mile. I nodded and stood, my knees cracking on the way up. Nate quickly looked at Ethan. We can take you if you want, he said. I'm good, I said, already heading in the direction of the apartment building. Once I was twenty feet away, I looked back. The two of them were standing there watching me. I quickly walked some more, and when I looked back again, they were gone. Sunday. I spent Sunday poring over the suspects in my notebook. Stephanie was rising on my list. So was John. But why would a producer of a hit show kill their star? David G. was a well-known catch and a frontrunner to win Sex Island. What would either of them stand to gain by killing him? Nate and Ethan were acting very strange near the trailers, and I couldn't quite rule out Tasha yet. Who among them had access to antifreeze? And most importantly, who had access to David G.? Then suddenly I thought again of Issa. How was it she seemed to be everywhere at once? And what did she know? I searched through the box the producers had given me and found her file. Issa was 22 years old and originally from Michigan. Her resume before Sex Island was spotty. She'd been a manager at a frozen yogurt shop and a barista in college. She went to NYU for film. I couldn't imagine that being a production assistant on Sex Island was her dream job. I tried looking her up online. No social media accounts, almost no online presence except for a senior thesis film that was available on Vimeo. The film showed a young woman crying as a naked older man did some type of modern dance behind her. There was no dialogue, only soft, ambient music. From what I could gather, the plot was loosely a couple breaks up. I realized while watching her film that these last couple days were the longest I'd gone without actually watching Sex Island. I wondered if there were any clues in the episodes leading up to David G.'s disappearance. Maybe something that I hadn't given significance to before? Like I'd done countless times before, I began a Sex Island marathon. I decided to start with the Friday before I arrived. The last person to admit to seeing David G. was Tasha, and that was Saturday night. He was found dead Wednesday evening, and the coroner said he'd been dead for up to 96 hours. So chances were that David G. was killed sometime between late Saturday night and early Sunday morning. That Friday episode was surreal to watch, mostly because David G. was still alive in it. He wore a gray t-shirt and scrubs, which seemed a little overkill now that I knew there was a costume department. Why not just stick a sign on his back that said, Male Nurse? He stood near the hibiscus arch, whispering to Tasha, who was giggling and swatting at him. In this shot, they really looked like lovebirds, not at all like a couple that would get into a big fight that day. Certainly not a broken-up couple. I guess who really knew anything, though? I'm sure my ex-husband and I looked happy at least some of the time. Blair and Sarah were lying out in adjacent beach chairs, while Nate and David N. took turns seeing who could jump up and touch higher on a small palm tree. Phil was off to the side doing push-ups. I started to wonder where Ethan was when the camera cut to him, lurking behind a cabana and glowering in the direction of David G. and Tasha. They cut to Ethan's confessional. 
He wore an unzipped hoodie with nothing underneath and spoke directly to camera. I'm not mad. Tasha and David G can do whatever they want. Listen, when you've got ten inches, there's plenty to go around. His eyes shifted to the person standing beside the camera, and he gave whoever it was an antagonistic smile. The camera cut to a confessional with David G. I noticed in this close-up under the bright lights, his skin looked gray, and I could see bags under his eyes through the layers of makeup. He spoke directly to camera. I'm having a great time. Tasha and I are back on track. I know Ethan's upset, but Tasha's a grown woman and she can do whoever she wants. And she picked me, suckers. With that, David G. ripped off his gray t-shirt and waved it around his head, laughing. He paused the episode, dragging the mouse back and forth to examine the footage a few seconds before and after this moment. Very interesting indeed. Whoever cut around David G.'s navel did it after this episode was taped. This has been chapters 12 and 13 of Murder on Sex Island, read by the author Joe Firestone, which that's me. This podcast is produced by Barry Finkel. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Episode 5 comes out next week. I'll be reading chapters 14 through 18, where the plot definitely thickens. Till next time.